to This Week in Mormons, the Taffy Edition, which is Tiffany and Friends for You. This is your host tonight, Tiffany Hales, and I am here with a listener tonight. I am here with John Bern Heisel. Bern Thank you. Even though I phonetically wrote it out, I looked at it and my mind just kind of went blank. So, John, thank you for coming on with me tonight. And so, here's what I like to do with everyone that I have on for the first time I like you to do a little bit of introduction so that our listeners understand who you are and what you're about. And so, let's just start with. Um, why don't you just give us some background, like where you're from, what your occupation is, and tell us a little bit about your family, and then we'll ask some twin-related questions. Okay. All right. Um, so I grew up on the Redwood Coast of California in the the pretty part of Northern California, almost to Oregon, um, uh, south of Eureka in a town called Fort Bragg. And mm-hmm. um, I went to BYU, and I married a hottie from Wyoming. <laughs> And I ended up in Wyoming. And for the last 36 years, um, I've been here in Cowley, Wyoming. It's a, about 600 people, and it's in the Bighorn Basin, almost to the Montana state line. And oh, wow. I, yeah, yeah. And I've worked at the high school here. Um, there's a high school of about 120 kids, and I have taught here continuously for, for all that time. And I teach science. And I teach computer science, and I'm also the head librarian. And um, so I'm literally the biggest nerd in um, in Wyoming, and um, it's it's awesome. I love it. Um, I have um, I, I married uh, my wife Sally, and I have four children. They're all adults. They're all grown, thankfully, and out of my hair. Um, but um, I have four wonderful grandchildren, and they just got into town tonight, oh, and so. So that's why I'm recording um, from the library because our house is a little chaotic today. That makes a lot of sense. So where do those grandkids live? Uh, I have two that live in Seattle, in uh, north of Seattle, and I have two that live in Logan, Utah. Okay. And then I have um, I have a son living in Laramie, and another daughter uh, who's who's not married who lives in in Seattle. Okay. Well, fun. Sounds like a lovely family. And this will explain to the viewers who might be watching this on YouTube why there's library books in your background. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So why don't you tell us, because I'm always curious, um, how it was you were introduced to This Week in Mormons and how long you've been listening to This Week in Mormons? Well, I was trying to figure that out. And I I don't, I'm guessing five or six years. I'm not, I'm not even sure how long it's been. How long have you been doing a podcast? Uh, Ariana and I started in 2016. Okay. All right. So about then, um, I'm a lifetime runner. And when podcasts came out, I, I've just been enthralled with podcasts and I, you know, I, I listened to every Mormon related podcast there is. And, and so I found, um, you know, Jeff Openshaw and, and all of you guys, um, uh, I think five or six years ago. Okay. And I've been listening to it ever since. That's awesome. Actually, I should say we started in 2017. I have to gauge when we started by how okay. old her youngest son is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, no, that's awesome. So um, what made you decide that you were going to be crazy enough to come on to an episode and co-host with me? Well, I don't know. It was kind of a, mis- uh, a probably a lapse in judgment, but... Um, uh, you know, you, you, you think about it and I, I'm a huge follower of the news, um, partly because of my job, but, but obviously because I'm LDS and, um, and so I thought, you know what, I, I could do that. And so I sent you guys an email, I don't know, uh, six or seven months ago and it got ignored for a while and rattled around it. And then finally this summer, um, I'm not sure whose name was. What's what's his name? Reply to me, Kurt and uh, Kurt. Kurt. Yes. And um, and so we've been been uh, trading back and forth, and here we are. And uh, Merry Christmas, by the way. I should have said that um, beforehand, but um, uh, so here I am in December. 
Why? Well, thank you very much. And I and I really appreciate it. And you know what? A lot of the my friends that I podcast with on Taffy uh, are women. So I was kind of excited to have Uh-oh. you on tonight because okay. I think it's always good to have a male perspective because the energy is just different when it's male, female than when it's when it's uh, female, female. So I, I am very grateful for you for agreeing to come on tonight with me. So thank you very much. All right. Well, well I'm happy to do it. Thanks for asking. All right. Well, as you know, we always begin our segments with a little bit of host chat and Ariane and I recorded last weekend. And so I thought I would just kind of give an update on a couple of things that we talked about when we podcast last week. So I talked about my tomato soup cupcakes. And you may recall, I made Ariane try the tomato soup cupcakes and I tried them with her. And, and and we were less than impressed. And I made these tomato soup cupcakes for my linger longer. And so I thought, well, I better return and report on that. But in addition to taking the tomato soup cupcakes for linger longer, because they were red and it is Christmas time, I thought, well, I'm going to make another pan of green jello and I'm going to take green jello to linger longer because, well, you know, red and green, it was kind of a theme I had going on. So I took my tomato soup cupcakes, I took my green jello. Oddly enough, all of the tomato soup cupcakes were consumed. Now, unless my ward members were listening to my show, they would not have known that these were tomato soup cupcakes. Uh, it was in the mass chaos. I didn't see, I only saw one person eating them and, and, and she ate it. You know, it's not like she took a bite and was like, what is this? So I thought that was kind of funny. My green jello did not get all the way consumed. Only about two thirds of my green jello got consumed. So I, I thought that that was. Did you have carrot uh, shavings in it, like my mom used to make with carrot shavings? I in the. I did not. Did you <laughs> I I followed. I I could have put the carrot shavings in, but I followed the recipe in the Essential Mormon Cookbook, and the recipe in the Essential Mormon Cookbook does not call for carrots, and it calls for pineapple. So it has pineapple in it instead of the carrots. So anyway, but uh, what, what, I, I want to make a comment about because because. Um, you, you and your sister talk so much about uh, ward parties and stuff. I, I, I was trying to think of uh, something intelligent I could say. And I am, I, I grew up on old LDS potlucks. I love a good potluck where everybody brings the mac and cheese with, you know, cornflakes on top and the spaghetti. And, and, you know, I, I learned as a child to, Dad would say, okay, you grab a little bit of everything. You have to eat everything you take, mm-hmm. but you have to grab a little bit. So we'd take these tiny scoops of everything and we'd decide what was worth it. And then we'd go back and get lots of that, you know. But our our ward party this year, we had catered roast beef. Oh. And I thought, oh, that's that's just that's just wrong. It's kind what's of cheating. Wrong with a, what's wrong with a good potluck? Well, my husband does not do the potluck at all. If he knows it's potluck, he's he's very particular about whose food he trusts. And so uh and, I understand. And, and quite honestly, so am I. So <laughs> And, and if you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that because I talked all about my control and food issues in quality related to the ward party. So, but you know what? I'm glad that there are potluck fans out there. So. Well, good, good. And this podcast will be vegan friendly, by the way. So. That's right. There will be no pigs <laughs> harmed tonight. <laughs> All right. So speaking of Christmas, do y'all have any giving machines in Wyoming? Did your state make the list, the cut this year? Uh, no, I, I'm I'm angry about that. So, uh, you know, you guys have been talking about the giving machine quite a bit. And so I got on the church's website and there's a place where you can you can search for giving machines near you. Right. And I was okay. thinking, you know, for, for me, the, the, our, our big cities are, are Cody and, and Billings, Montana, Cody, Wyoming, Billings, yeah. Montana. Obviously they don't have, so the nearest one geographically to me was Denver, Colorado, and it's eight hours away. Wow. And, and um, and so, you know, but I, I think the, probably the, the, for, you know, uh, here at the school I teach in, a, a lot of the, a lot of the students, both boys and girls um, um, work on farms and ranches around here. And so, you know, they, they know how to handle a pig and a cow and a goat. And I guess the advantage for the church of these giving machines is they don't even have to touch a goat or a cow 
and they can just give one. I, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but 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 somehow they they just get to work as the middleman, and um, and these these poor kids around here, they come to to school sometimes. They go to seminary an hour and a half after they've gotten up and had to take care of the animals. Wow. Wow. Well, um, you know, kind of an interesting thing that I learned about the giving machines is um, I had put on Facebook a picture of one that we had done for our word party. And it was just a giving machine that you could go and pick cards for service. Well, somebody in that commented, and and I didn't realize this, and it certainly makes sense. And I, I haven't received confirmation of this, but it makes a lot of sense to me that if you want a giving machine in your area, there is a whole application process that you have to apply to the church because you have to, you know, figure out where the machine is going to be. And it has to be staffed apparently 24 seven. They don't want to leave the machines unstaffed. And so you really have to have a consortium of several stakes or even an area who is willing to host this. And I, from what I understood from the Facebook comment, it was, it was rather, it was a rather lengthy process. And so I thought, well, that kind of makes sense then why um, maybe some areas have gotten them and some areas haven't. Nobody in the Boise area anyway has been has been willing yet to take that on, that lengthy process of applying to the church for a giving machine. But anyway, I, th- I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I was, su- I was surprised that, you know, Boise population wise is, I think, maybe as big as the Salt Lake Valley now or bigger. And, you know, it's it's the kind of town that you'd think would have a, a giving machine. And so stay tuned. Stay yeah. Tuned. We'll- yeah. We're, we're not that big yet. I think we're at about, I think we're about three quarters of a million, somewhere in that range when you look at Boise and all of the surrounding suburbs here in the Treasure Valley. But, you know, we're big enough for two temples. So there you go. Stay tuned. Okay. Maybe all next right. year. All right. Now, you know that I call this the Taffy edition, but you ask Chat GPT a question. Why don't you tell no, our no. listeners the question <laughs> that you asked Chat GPT? Because I loved this. Uh, it's, so, like I, I, I think I said, I, I work in a school and I, I do deal with technology all the time. And we're trying to figure out how to use Chat GPT in the schools and it, um, AI and artificial uh, intelligence, obviously. And so I put in. Uh, what would be, let's see, I've, I've got to put on my glasses. I apologize. I asked ChatGPT, what would be a good podcast name for a person from Idaho named Hales and a person from Wyoming named Bernheisel? And here's some of the ones that I liked. And so um, so apparently it looked at what, what things Idaho and Wyoming have in common. It suggested the Sagebrush Squad. Or my favorite was the Tuber Team. Obviously, your potatoes and our sugar beets. Oh, um, uh, yeah. There you go. See uh, the mission field companions. And now I don't. I was kind of surprised they said that when I was a kid. I, you know, growing up in Northern California, they called us the mission field because we were outside of Utah. And so I'm not sure. A couple others that are fun: the Teton Two, the Snake River Bandits, um, the other sheep. Obviously. Um, I, I still think think there's going to be another um, gold plates found in the Bighorn Basin sometime, and and um, and they will uh, will uh, will be the other sheep, the Yellowstone Posse, and the Yellowstone Desperados was uh, some of the names that um, ChatGPT created for us. So there you well- go. I thought that was great. I I wanted to take two and combine them. I liked Tuber Team, and I also liked. Hales and Bernheisel unplugged. And so I thought, what if we did Tuber Team unplugged? That okay, I really there we liked. Go. There we go. All right. All right. Next time we talk will be the Tuber Team unplugged. So the Tuber Team unplugged. I, and I love Neither that. one of us will would remember it, I promise. But. I promise. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do some news stories since we are here for that. And because this is the week of Christmas and Christmas is in a couple of days, we're going to start out with some Christmas stories tonight because that seems appropriate. So the first Christmas story that we have tonight, it's kind of interesting. It comes out of a State of Faith newsletter, and it was written by a person who is not LDS. I believe they were they were Lutheran, if I recall correctly. Anyway, um, 
it was very, the title of the article is what changes about church when Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. Now, as you know, if you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, normally we have two-hour church on Sunday. But uh, what we've been doing for the last few years where Christmas has kind of been clustered around the weekend is the church has issued a statement saying we're just going to do sacrament only. So we only have one hour at church. So the uh, the author of this article uh, starts lamenting about, uh, well, I shouldn't say he starts off by lamenting. He starts off by talking about his Christmas Eve traditions, you know, that normally the shopping is all done, the food's all prepared. They kind of sit around and kind of have kind of an easy sort of a Christmas Eve. But that presents a problem when Christmas is on a Sunday, because typically they have a Sunday morning service. And then, but when it's Christmas Eve, they also have an evening service. So they're not used to going to church two times a day. And so it kind of messes with their flow and their mojo. And uh, and he said that a lot of faith leaders are somewhat concerned that people given two choices, morning church or afternoon church, are only going to pick one rather than, than pick both. And um, he did say that he was talking to someone who is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he felt a little holy envy because uh, <laughs> we have actually less church when, Chris, yeah. when Christmas uh, is close to a weekend versus more church. But I, I thought that that was kind of really an interesting take because it just never occurred to me that that um, when Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, that you would go to church in the morning and go to church in the afternoon if you are of another faith. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Tiffany, I grew up in, like I said, in Northern California, and almost all of my friends were were Catholic. And um, in fact, I have a an Eagle Scout from the from the Catholic troop um, in my hometown. Um, and and so I grew up going to midnight mass, and uh-huh. it was it was like um, you know probably almost every year as a teenager I went to midnight mass, and um, it's you know I've I've I love to travel and I love to learn new cultures and things, and obviously um, it's it's just an outstanding experience, and and so um, uh, a lot of my friends would sort of you know, complain, teenage complaining, saying, oh, we had to go to church if, if it fell on a Sunday. We had to go to church that morning and then go again on midnight mass. And they would, just like the article says, they, they'd argue with their parents to get out of one of them. And yeah. um, well, I, I, think, I think this is perfect. I love that Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. Um, I, I'm okay with one hour church, but it... Uh, Christmas Eve is a little bit more spiritual mm-hmm. in our house and Christmas Day is a little more chaotic. And so I think this works out well this year. Yeah, I, I don't mind when Christmas Eve lands on a Sunday at all. I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it for that very reason, because Sunday is always a slower day in my house and a more spiritually reflective day. And I, and I think that that's appropriate. So, yeah, all right. Yeah. Let's move on to our next story. This is a fun one. Um, Mr. Kruger's Christmas. I assume you have seen that. Have you seen Mr. Kruger's Christmas? Oh, oh, uh, uh, of course. I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. Okay. Well, then you're going to like this article. So this article is all about Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Kruger's Christmas. And I never really, uh, this was, I believe, um, published in the Deseret News. I never really um, kind of knew the backstory of how Mr. Kruger's Christmas came to came to be. And this is article talks about it. So Michael McLean, which a lot of people have heard of, he does a show called The Forgotten Carols. Well, before he did his show called The Forgotten Carols, he was a uh, he was a filmmaker and he wanted to make Mr. Kruger's Christmas. And so he calls up uh, originally, I think he had wanted Oh, I'm trying to remember who he had wanted originally. Fred Astaire, I think. Fred Astaire, that's right. And he wasn't available. And so he recommended Jimmy Stewart, who actually, I, I take that back. Uh, Michael McLean wanted wanted Jimmy Stewart, didn't think he'd be able to get Jimmy Stewart, started with Fred Astaire, who said, you should call Jimmy Stewart. So he calls Jimmy Stewart's agent and he's trying to, he's only 27 years old. He's trying to sound really old and mature because he doesn't want this agent <laughs> to understand how young he is. And so he starts talking with Jimmy Stewart's agent and says, you know, hey, I've got this project I'd like for him to do. Um, 
Now he's not offering him, him very much money for the project. And the, the late, the agent kind of laughs and says, um, you want him to film for two weeks and that's what he got paid for doing one day. And, but yeah. the agent was willing to meet with Michael McLean. So Michael McLean goes to LA. He tells the story to the agent. And, um, after he has that, this conversation with the agent and explains, you know, Hey, this is the story that I want to make. We're not going to be able to pay him very much. And the church wants to retain all the perpetual rights with no residuals. The agent was so touched. He said, okay, kid, we'll make this work. And so he got Jimmy Stewart on board and Jimmy Stewart was on board as well because he thought that there was really too much commercialism and too much Santa Claus in Christmas. And he wanted to do something that was a little bit more spiritual. And he really liked the message of Mr. Kruger's Christmas. And then it kind of gets into some of the history of Jimmy Stewart that I didn't really realize, which you probably as a Jimmy Stewart fan knew. I had no idea that he had served in World War II and that he had seen lots of action in World War II and came home with some PTSD as a result of it. Yeah, he was really, oh, my. There go your lights. <laughs> uh, he really was the uh, the all-American boy. There we go. Um, sorry, my, uh, my power just went out. Uh, Jimmy Stewart really was the all American boy. He was, he was the character he played in, um, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, a war hero. And, and he, he went to war, uh, or, you know, he, he didn't get drafted, but he, he was late in his late thirties or mid thirties when he, when he was a pilot and yeah. a really impressive guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he went voluntarily. In fact, his, his father didn't want him to go, but his father knew that he couldn't stop him and sent him, gave him a letter and said, you know, don't read this till you after you're on the plane. And it was a very spiritual letter that his father had given him saying, I'm turning you, your life and everything over to God and having that trust and having that faith. But it's it's really interesting. One of the movies that I know him very well for, because it's one of my favorite Christmas movies, is It's a Wonderful Life. And you look at his Classic. character. Yeah. You look at his character, George Bailey, and um, just the desperation that George Bailey felt. And um, he drew on a lot of emotion that he had that from the war in channeling that. And, and even people in Hollywood said he wasn't like this before he went to the war and how it just made him a much better actor. And uh, I, I really appreciated that. And the other part of the story that I thought was so funny is the director they, of course, didn't film on Sundays. So Jimmy Stewart's in Utah. He doesn't have anything to do on Sunday. So the director says, hey, you want to come over to my house for Sunday dinner? We have pot roast every Sunday. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's like, sure, why not? <laughs> and so he calls his mom and he says, uh, the director calls, I, I don't know if it was his mother or his wife. Uh, oh, it was his, it was his parents. Yeah. So he yeah. calls his parents and says, hey, Jimmy Stewart's coming over for dinner. And his mom, being a huge Jimmy Stewart fan, just was so excited. And apparently he, um, not only did he stay for dinner, he didn't, he lingered longer and told all sorts of stories <laughs> and just enjoyed the family. And, and he felt such a connection that he uh, ultimately donated all of his personal papers and his movie memorabilia to BYU. And so I just, I loved this article. Um, tell, tell me, what were your thoughts on this article when you read it? Well, and, and, and like I said, I, I had, I've been a Jimmy Stewart fan all my life, but, um, I love the story and I can't remember, uh, Michael McLean's daughter. Was that the daughter? Was it yes. his daughter that played the little girl? And I love the letter that Jimmy Stewart, uh, wrote to her later in life. And I'm trying to get to it really quickly. And, um, and it wrote, he wrote her a very personal, I can't find it real quick, but he wrote her a very personal letter after she sent a graduation announcement to yeah. Jimmy Stewart. And, yeah. um, it was, it was just really amazing. Um, what a kind man he was, uh, obviously in the last years of his life, an American icon, war hero, uh, film star. I mean, uh, every, every man wants to be him. Exactly. Well, and he just, 
he just really had such good values. In fact, he always said, you know, he wasn't in for the Hollywood stuff. He didn't like the glitz, the glamour, the money, the status, the plastic surgery. You know, that's not that's not yeah. what he was about. And one of the art authors of this article was a gentleman by the name of Andrew Durbin. And he is actually working on a book called Mr. Stewart Goes to Zion. Church media, Jimmy Stewart, and the miraculous making of Mr. Kruger's Christmas. And so he's trying to put that together in a book, and I would totally read that book. So oh, I absolutely. hope that Mr. Durbin is able to get that together, and uh, maybe next year for Christmas, that'll be something that's available for yeah. purchase. Yeah. I, I got a Jimmy Stewart trivia question for you. You ready? Okay. Did he win any Academy Awards, and if he did, for what movie? Oh, gosh. I have no idea whatsoever. He should have won for for uh, It's a Wonderful Life. He should yes. have won for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I, I had to look it up because I'd never even heard of it. He won for The Philadelphia Story hmm. with uh, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and Jimmy Stewart. And that's the only Academy. Wow. He was nominated. He was nominated five times um, both for both the movies we've been talking about. Um, and uh, not Mr. Kruger's Christmas, but um, for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and It's a Wonderful Life. But anyway, there's your there's a little Jimmy Stewart trivia. One only one Academy Award. Wow. He got he got robbed. He did get robbed. Well, and I have to say on the note of It's a Wonderful Life, when I was at BYU, I took a film class to fulfill a humanities credit. And in that film class, one of the films that we were required to watch was It's a Wonderful Life. We were probably in the same class together. I won't ask you how old you are uh, here online, but um, yep, I was at that's that's the first time I'd seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Uh, what was it? What was the class called? It was called I don't even uh, remember American American Heritage. American Heritage wasn't that it? I no. think it was called American Heritage. Well, no, because no, there is an American Heritage class at BYU, but this was a separate class where you we we literally spent all semester watching movies the whole entire oh, time. Yeah. So I watched It's yeah. a Wonderful Life. Um, I'm trying to remember what other movies I, I can't off the top of my head, but it was learning about, you know, cinematography and sound and costuming. And I see. so you could go watch a movie and appreciate all of those things that happen behind the scenes that you don't even know. Okay. I'm so much older than you anyway. So. Oh, I highly doubt it. We'll compare notes offline. <laughs> okay, later. All right. Let's move on to our next Christmas story. I think you have our next Christmas story. Well, so I, I, I wanted to find something that was uh, obviously related to Christmas. And um, I ran into this article from uh, by Common Consent. And I think you guys have talked about some, some of their articles before. And... Um, there's a there's an article by Sam Brunson that is just uh, just phenomenal, and the title of this article is Christmas and Immigration Story, and um, and so you know I've I've uh, heard the Christmas story uh, all my life. I've read Luke chapter two um, every year for my entire life, and you know all my kids and grandkids have acted out. Um, different um, embarrassing forms of the nativity uh, play um, lots of times. Um, but um, um, Mr. Brunson's uh, article gave me a new perspective. And, and let me share it with you really quick. And, um, you know, when, when uh, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, um, they, they obviously arrived and they didn't have friends. They didn't have family. Obviously, they didn't have money. And, um, you know, we all know the story. They, they needed a place to stay. And, and somebody, by their kindness, um, opened up their, you know, their, their barn to them, um, whatever it was, and, and took care of them. And, um, but also when Mary and Joseph and, and, and baby Jesus were informed that King Herod was I'm looking to to kill um, Christ. Um, they fleed into Egypt. Now, I wish we knew more about that Egypt part of the story, and um, but 
Um, but what we do know is uh, I, I can pretty safely assume that Mary and Joseph didn't speak Egyptian. They probably didn't know the Egyptian culture. They probably didn't show up with a job. They probably didn't show up with really any money. And, and they didn't die in Egypt. They managed to come back from Egypt. And, and then they went on. And so, um, they were refugees. They were, mm-hmm. they were immigrants. They were, um, relying on the, the kindness of others. And then I think what is maybe equally as good with, um, the story is that he goes on to talk about how many times in, in church history that the, the, the members of the church have also been in similar situations as, as we left Ohio or as we left Missouri or Illinois um, and, and, you know, in, in desperation, we often relied on the, the kindness of others to help them. Um, the most, uh, you know, to, to me, the most, the best example of that is um, when they left far West Missouri and, you know, they, they crossed into Illinois um, in the middle of the winter, and the people of Quincy, Illinois, um, embraced the church and, and embraced those men and women and children as men and women and children, and not as those those evil Mormons. You know, they yeah. they 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 were kind to them. And you know, um, I'm I'm the the great grandchild of of um, lots of immigrants. Most of my um, ancestors are from from Germany and Scandinavia and almost in every case um you know I I know none of my ancestors had any money because I've <laughs> never seen any but they all came to America either as members of the church or as as immigrants and 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 needed jobs and they were willing to work hard and you know I exist because of their hard work but also of the kindness of the countries where they arrived into and, and the people who took care of them. Yeah. And um, it, it's a good message. Um, and of course our new rock star, Elder Kiron, um, did I pronounce that right? Elder Kiron? That's how that I right? believe it's pronounced. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, you know, he's our new uh, LDS rock star and um, he, he famously gave a talk in 2016 about um, refugees. And at the time he was talking about um, a lot of the refugees from Syria who were fleeing mm-hmm. the civil war in Syria and coming into uh, parts of Europe. And, and he, he, he said a couple quotes I want to um, read real quick. His talk was called a refuge from the storm. And he said, he calls on all of us to pray prayerfully look for ways that we can serve refugees but he also says this, he goes, this moment does not define the refugees around us, but our response will define us. I and, like that. Um, I, th- I think that was um, really amazing. So, you know, whether the people who are needy come from the town next to us or come from Syria or Mexico or Denmark or um, uh, from Missouri, I guess, um, you know, I think that eventually we'll have to to you know answer to our to our savior and say you know i this is well this is what i did when someone came to me in need yeah and and you know yeah uh you know hungry and i fed you naked and you clothed you and etc so yeah no uh, i it's just really an outstanding story sorry I was going to say, I really like this article. In fact, before I had seen that you had pulled this article, I had gone out on a on a walk uh, earlier this week. And like you, I like to listen to podcasts. And I happened mm-hmm. to be listening to, I think it was This American Life. And I was listening mm-hmm. to an episode that uh, there was a lady in New York City who every night gets up very early in the morning, I should say, and greets buses of immigrants that are being bused into New York City. And she tells them, okay, this is where you can go for this service. This is where you can go for this. This is how you can do that. And as I'm listening to this podcast, uh, the the story of, of the Savior and his birth uh, came immediately to my mind. And then you said this story because I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, Christ was a refugee. No one probably yeah. understands how refugees feel 
well, he understands how everybody feels more than any of us. But his story is a story of being a refugee, of having to flee. And and also like you, I I am multi-generational in the church and had ancestors that crossed the plains yeah. and had to flee out of those towns. And so I think it's yeah. just a good reminder to us especially when you when you look at refugee situations in our own country and you look at ref- refugee situations around the world, um, they're difficult situations. They're difficult to deal with on a humanitarian level. Yeah. They're difficult to deal with on a political level. And just to keep that perspective, especially the one that Elder Curon says, where just like what you said, our response will help define us. So. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. It's, it's pretty easy for it's pretty easy for me to sit in my comfortable chair and and watch Netflix all night and um, and think, oh, you know, these people they they just need to go back home. So yeah, uh, that's all I'll say. But I <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to. Um, but when I was telling my wife about this article, I got all emotional, and so I was worried that my my uh, my my. LDS heritage would come out and I would uh, start to get emotional, but I made it through. Good. All right. Well, you have our next one. We have some MTC news updates. Well, this is, uh, this is a a fun story for me. I, I was one of those missionaries that loved the MTC. In fact, anniversary uh, alert, uh, 40 years ago today, I was in the MTC and I I don't keep my age a secret. I'm 59. So no secret there, (laughs) but I was in the MTC and I spent Thanksgiving, Christmas and new years of 83, 84 in the MTC. And it was, it was such a safe place for me. I was, I, I went to Brazil, I was learning Portuguese and it was just this great situation. And I've seen, um, uh, you know, uh, missionaries in in my my town, and obviously the students I've taught um, have left on missions. And I saw the whole Zoom MTC during the COVID times, and oh, that would have it would have just been a nightmare for me. I, I see these poor kids; they have to, most of them have to do one week of home MTC right now. I'm are you guys doing the same thing of one? Yeah, week I think that's I think that's church wide. Yeah, and that you know that would be hard, and so I had been worried that the church has closed um, several. Um, let's see, I got the stats here. Um, since 2019, there have been five MTCs that have closed in Madrid, Johannesburg, uh, South Africa, Buenos Aires, Guatemala City, and Bogota. And so I was worried that that was going to be the trend, and maybe we're going to go to this pure home MTC. So I was celebrating that Thailand just announced, or the church announced that Thailand will now have an, an MTC. It's the, the, you know, the, the, it'll be the only one in Asia. Um, uh, oh, sorry. There's my lights again. Standing <laughs> up. I apologize. <laughs> Gotta love automatic lights. Uh, anyway, so um, uh, it'll be the, um, uh, they just uh, in in uh, Bangkok, Thailand. They just um, dedicated a temple just a couple months ago in October, and it's part of that same complex. Yeah. And um, so there's an MTC and um, several meeting houses and a temple, and it's a beautiful. I, I pulled up the picture. It's a beautiful area, and um, they will teach several Asian languages there. And surprisingly to me, they they're also going to teach Russian. Oh. In the Bangkok. And so I, you know, I don't know how many missionaries we're sending to Russia right now. Um, hopefully not any of any of my kids uh, <laughs> are heading to Russia right now. But um, so this this temple is um, is really exciting to me. Um, or sorry, this this new MTC is is I'm glad they're doing it. And um, and and Thailand is is deserving of it. Exactly. All right, we're going to move on to kind of a fun slash sad story. So Provo Temple, also kind of known as a space age temple. Now, its sister temple, as you know, was the Ogden Temple. They were both built and dedicated uh, around the same time and both had uh, very similar architectural features. 
So several years ago, the Ogden Temple got its big makeover. And then um, President Nelson announced, I believe in 2021, that the Provo Temple was going to get a big makeover. And they released design drawings. And it is getting a makeover similar to what happened to Ogden. Ogden is not recognizable as a spaceship temple anymore. And I have to say, when I saw the designs, I was saddened. And, and here's why I was saddened. Um, I'm a huge fan of mid-century modern. And let me tell you, the Provo Temple and the Ogden Temple before it got changed just screams mid-century modern. And so I, I love that design. A lot of people, you know, when mid-century modern was not as in vogue anymore, would look at the Provo Temple and just go, oh, that's so ugly. In fact, um, I lived in Provo for a brief period of time and it was right after I was done at BYU, it was right after Mount Tipinogos Temple had been uh, dedicated. Several, it had been there for a couple of years. And we went to the, I, I don't know why I was, I think we did a Relief Society thing with the gardener at the Provo Temple and he was going around showing us all the plants. And they were just saying no brides were getting married there. They were all getting married in Tipinogos because they thought the picture taking venue at the Provo Temple was so ugly. And I was just so saddened. Well, there has been a group that is trying to save the architecture of the Provo Temple, and they have written hundreds of letters. They've circulated petitions with thousands of figures, uh, signatures. They've reached out to regional leaders, and sadly, it's been crickets for them. And they are just very sad because they would like to see, along with me, the architecture of that temple. Um preserved. I mean, yeah, go in, update it, change it, do what you want. I think the St. George Temple is a prime example of that. They added this huge addition onto the St. George Temple, but yet it still has retained its very characteristic pioneer look. And I think the same thing will probably happen when Salt Lake is opened. And so um, they say, we must recognize and honor our past, the good and the bad of it, and not erase it and replace it with a homogeneous present, with a homogeneous present. So anyway, what what are your feelings on the Provo Temple? Oh, I, I, I'm with you on this. Of course, so many of my memories are, um, I, I got married in the Salt Lake Temple, but, um, you know, going to school at BYU and, and you know, in the MTC, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I was trying to figure it out. I, I may in my life have been to the Provo temple more than any other temple. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure probably, probably Billings, Montana, but, but it's, um, uh, you know, it's just because the architecture changes doesn't mean we tear it down. You know, I'm, you know, I've put on a few pounds and I'm hope that nobody's going to get rid of me. So I'm, I'm still uh, doing my best, but uh, yeah, it. I I had never thought about it to be honest. Um, obviously, they they tore down the Ogden Temple. I think it's been almost nine years ago since they yeah. um, got rid of the Ogden Temple, and and I didn't really have any connection to that, so it didn't bother me. But but um, when I read this article and saw, I mean, the, to, to call it a makeover is um, is you know. I don't know if you can see the picture, but it's oh, yeah. it's one hundred percent change. I'm I'm not sure how much of it they're actually saving. Maybe just a, a piece of the foundation or the cornerstone. But it's uh, you know I like you said I understand you know you got to update it for for earthquakes and fires and and new plumbing and all this. But um, I don't know. I'll need to I'll need to read the article and find out where I can sign sign the petition. I don't <laughs> think anyone will be listening though. So. Sadly, no. But you know, I'm glad nope. that there that that you and I are not alone in our feelings of that architecture really doesn't bug us. We'd like to see it saved no. and like to see yeah. something unique. So yeah, well, and, and you know, I guess you know, it sounds like you and I are are pretty close in the same age, and and so well, you know, I mean, are, are we going to get rid of avocado colored dishwashers now or anything too? It's like you know, we got to keep something. So exactly, I'm all. I'm I'm on I'm on Team Provo Temple. All right, okay. Let's move on to our next story about uh, the leader of the world's largest Islamic organization came to Utah. Okay, so, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna begin by apologizing for my lack of um, pronunciation of Indonesian, but I'll I'll just do my best. So, um, Yaha Stakif. 
We'll call him Brother Stakif. He is the chairman of the Nadalatal Ulama Islamic Organization. I, I I honestly had never heard about it. I I know a little bit about Islam and um and you know uh, some of the, a, a lot of the history, but I didn't know about this organization. And and now I I understand why the church has has is working with him and his organization. And so um, he represents a hundred million Muslims, mostly in Indonesia. And I think this is the significant part. They are all about promoting tolerant Islamic teachings. Now, um, somebody asked him if he's a if they're a reformed um, Islam, and they are not. And I I'm not sure who who makes that decision, but they're not. They're they're very peace loving, and they have seven thousand schools and forty four universities. So they're they're really uh, beating us in the university game, and um, but the church, the LDS Church, and um, this organization team up on multiple humanitarian projects, mm-hmm. um, and you know uh, throughout Indonesia and throughout Asia um, for 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 feeding refugees. For they've done several things with with wheelchairs and. Um, and um, uh, work with with um, young mothers and and lots of of great things that they're doing together. And so uh, this man, um, um, Mr. Stakif, he came to Salt Lake City. Um, he met with, I mean, he he, I, I found that he met with at least five members of the Quorum of the Twelve at at some point or another. Yeah. Uh, mostly with uh, with Elder Oaks. Um, he got a tour of the the church office building he saw uh, parts of the salt lake temple he got to see the the orem is it the orem temple yes. yes he went to see the orem temple and um and so he got treated like a rock star and it sounds like we've got really good relationships between our two faiths and i i can't think of a, a better story for um you know for for world peace and working together and and solving some of the problems um, exactly. that we, we can help with. Well, and they have a quote in the article from Elder Stevenson where uh, he says, when citizens learn to live together with respect and unity despite religious differences, we have the foundational stones of to true peace. And uh, yeah. I think this is just an excellent, excellent example of that. Yeah, great story. Sounds like a good guy. Yep. Okay, we're going to move on to some quick takes. So these are some news stories that we're not going to go into t- into as much depth with, but they need to be addressed because they came out this week. Uh, the first one is a kind of a Tim Ballard follow-up. Uh, for those who recall the Tim Ballard story, there was a psychic he was using who claims that... Uh, uh, he, she was uh, speaking to the prophet uh, Nephi on behalf of uh, Tim Ballard. Well, she went on a podcast this week called The Last Dispensation, which typically explores fringe beliefs among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I've never, ever heard of this podcast, so clearly I've never Neither even learned it or listened to it. Anyway, she gets on the podcast and she adamantly denies that she had psychic readings with the prophet Nephi. Uh, also there were in the investigation, it came out that there were 10,000 pages of psychic readings, uh, that were done. She denies that those psychic read, that those 10,000 pages exist. She does admit she spent 10 years working with Tim Ballard. Um, but she also suggested in the podcast that the women's allegations in the current, uh, uh, lawsuits against Tim Ballard were fabricated. Uh, she also uh, indicated that she still doesn't believe that the statement that came out from the church uh, discussing Elder Ballard's relationship with Tim Ballard, she still doesn't believe that came out from the church. So anyway, yeah, that's her. Yeah, yeah. she doesn't need uh, some of her psychic abilities to, well, apparently she has no psychic abilities. Yes. Um, or she would have known the answer to some of those questions. Keep yes. Going. 
All right, the next one, staying on our same line with Tim Ballard, we have Attorney General Sean Reyes for the state of Utah announces he will not run for re-election, and he believes the women who have accused Tim Ballard. He was a very strong Tim Ballard supporter. He went on several missions with Tim Ballard. Uh, Rather than do a press conference to announce that he wasn't going to run, he does a video that he releases to the Deseret News and doesn't take any questions. Uh, He does say that he had met with the women, had met with their attorneys over the course of several days, does believe them. That's also consistent with what Glenn Beck said after Glenn Beck began investigating things. And anyway, he says, I've decided not to run. I've got uh, some more things that I need to do in my life. I've accomplished everything that I wanted to do as attorney general. So I'm going to bow out at this point in time. So it will be interesting to see who comes out of the woodwork. Undoubtedly, it will probably be a member of the church who comes out of the woodwork to run for attorney general in the state of Utah. (laughs) Except he's not a lawyer. That is kind of one qualification. You got to be a lawyer (laughs) to be the attorney general. (laughs) Hey, maybe Mike Lee could go be the attorney general. He's a lawyer. (laughs) Okay. All right. Moving on uh, to the next episode. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're all a little overwhelmed or a little, uh, on Tim Ballard overload. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, his, his, uh, his influence, uh, travels far apparently. So, yes. Okay. So you have the next one about the box office numbers for the oath. Yeah. So, um, you guys talked about it a little bit, uh, I believe last week, um, about, I can't remember the name of the director who, and, and uh, so I, 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 I crunched some numbers for you. Okay. And, um, so I'll, I'll share those with you. Uh, let's just say the oath was a flop. Yeah. Um, so they had, um, apparently it was a $24 million budget. Yes. Um, I mean, I mean, that's not obviously Star Wars kind of budget, but that that's, that's still a lot of money to me. And, um, and they had a $24 million budget. And right now, as of last night, they had only taken in $430,000 at the box office. So uh, what that means is that for, if you had been an investor and if you had invested a thousand dollars in this movie, you would have gotten $18 back from your thousand dollars, not $18,000 profit, but, you would have had a, a loss of nine hundred eighty-two dollars per thousand dollars on your investment. Um, uh, another little uh, little math um, uh, fun I had was that so it, it initially opened in six hundred forty theaters, and but right now it only has one hundred sixty-seven theaters that it's still showing. And I, I actually looked it up, and the closest theater to me that I could see it at, according to what I saw was in still in Ogden, Utah. And I'm, you know, that's it. So, and uh, the, some big theater in Ogden last week had it like 30 different showings the, or the first week right now, they only have one showing this weekend and it's tomorrow at 1130 in the morning. Yeah. So if you want to go see the oath and you're in Ogden tomorrow, uh, we'll, this will come out after that, but um, you can go see it. But total total flop. Um, I I don't know. It's uh, you know you don't you don't um, make a uh, an LDS themed movie badmouth the church and then somehow think you're going to make any money off it. I guess it's kind of true. But I yeah. appreciate you crunching those numbers of the follow-up on that from last week. Yeah. So I actually, I think I'll probably, I, I want to see it sometime just because I've, I've read so much about it that I feel curiosity. like, oh, I, I kind of ought to see it. So when it comes out on Netflix, I'll, I'll sit and watch it in my, my basement. There you go. If it's lucky enough to make it to Netflix, it may be in the uh, $5 value bin at Deseret, New- at Deseret Book. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they still do that anymore. Yeah. But yes, I agree. All right. So our last quick take is a follow-up to another story that Arianne and I have covered before. There is uh, 
excuse me, a naval officer named Ridge Alconis. And he was a, he had been imprisoned in Japan for 507 days. Uh, you may recall he had gone with his family up to see Mount Fuji. As he was driving back down from Mount Fuji, he lost consciousness and he ended up in a car crash that resulted in the death of an 85 year old Japanese woman and her 54 year old son-in-law. Uh, he believes he lost consciousness due to altitude sickness. Uh, they believe, the Japanese people believed he had fallen asleep. And there wasn't any medical treatment or they hadn't done any medical investigation. At least j the Japanese people hadn't. Uh, the Navy had. The Navy believed that he had actually uh, suffered from altitude sickness. And anyway, so they ended up doing a prisoner swap. So he's now back in U.S. custody. He's not been released yet because <clears throat> the military is assessing, you know, are we going to release him? Are we going to finish out this sentence? What are we going to do? But the family is having hope that he hopefully will be released. This was only about half of, he only had to serve about half of his sentence because I believe, I'm trying to remember, he was sentenced to, I think, four or five years, a significant period of time. So he only had to serve about half of his sentence before we were able to execute a, a prisoner swap. And he is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. That's yes. why we're talking about him. So yeah, I'm, anyway. I'm glad he's home. Uh, hopefully this is, uh, I, I think I'd rather be in a, in a jail in the United States than in Japan, I guess. Big. But um, if the military, if the U.S. military said that he was uh, not guilty, then then I'll I'll side with them. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to some Mormons behaving badly? Oh yes, there's got to be some. <laughs> oh yes, yes there are. I've got two updates and, and kind of the new one that we haven't really talked about. I'm going to begin with the new one that we haven't really talked about. Utah. Billionaire Trevor Milton is sentenced to four years in prison for defrauding investors. So Trevor Milton was the CEO of Nikola Motors. Now, Nikola Motors uh, wanted to give Tesla, per se, a run for its money. They were going to develop trucks that ran on alternative fuel sources, theoretically battery powered. Uh, and they were they wanted to build themselves up to be like Tesla and give Tesla a run for its money. So he was on the airwaves and everywhere making all sorts of statements about what his trucks could and couldn't do. Uh, the SEC got involved and determined that he was making all sorts of fraudulent statements. They charged him with a bunch of fraud. He went to trial in October of 2022. He was convicted at trial, but he was not sentenced until just this last week. So at his sentencing, he was given, the prosecution was asking for 11 years in prison. The judge only gave him four years in prison, but he actually ended up walking out of the courtroom because he is appealing this conviction. And so the judge said, you can remain free on bond while you are appealing this conviction. One of the things that really upset the U.S. attorneys is they felt like he, he was not remote, remorseful. In fact, when he spoke in court, he was rambling at times. He insisted he did nothing wrong. He stated he was part Cherokee and that his family was victimized by <laughs> ethnic cleansing and that his dying mother described heaven to him and that his good deeds would be broadcast to the world. Um, his lawyer said that their client wanted to be loved and praised like Elon Musk and that nobody was actually damaged in this. Now, the value of this Nikola company has uh, dramatically, at one point in time, it was a billion dollar company. Now I think it's worth about 400 million. And so the value- 13, 13 billion. It was- It was once. 13 billion. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, he he has, this is not his, this he has a checkered past, let's put it that way. There are several women who have made sexual assault allegations against him. Uh, he claims he dropped out of college. Uh, however, in reality, he was expelled for paying others to complete his work. So should we be surprised? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember hearing about this story Um you know, from the technical side, and it was going to, they were going to make, make these big uh, self-driving uh, uh, semi-trucks that would, would cross the country and just do their own driving and deliver all our goods. And, and pretty soon it would reduce the prices of everything. And he, he definitely sold his company because he got, uh, you know, $13 billion in investors. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, um, 
just like the people invested in the Oath movie, I, I don't think they're very uh, not very a good return. Today, so yeah, no, no. All right, we have a Ruby Frankie update just this week. Uh, mm. The the mom, the former uh, YouTuber Ruby Frankie pled guilty to four counts of child abuse. She was originally charged with six. Uh, the prosecution agreed to drop two if she pled to four. Um, she, of course, threw her partner, uh, Jody Hildebrand, under the bus. And she said the reason for this child abuse is she found herself on a challenging path under Ms. Hildebrand's influence and that uh, Ms. Hildebrandt took advantage of Ruby Frankie and, and, and twisted this and isolated Ruby from her extended family and from her husband. <sighs> I, I, it's a I, horrible story. It is a horrible, a horrible story. story. And I certainly understand people that fall under the influence of other people, but these are your children. And, and how can you be so far gone when you look at the abuse that these kids suffered and and she had kind of some questionable parenting before she even got hooked up with Jody Hildebrand. So it'll will be interesting to see how the judge sentences her. Uh, her sentence is, will happen sometime in January. So in January, I will probably have an update on what that situation is. And of course, her husband, Kevin, filed for divorce in the last couple of weeks. So that situation yeah. is still unraveling. Yeah, I, re I read some of her of her confession, uh, you know, what she, um, what's the word lawyer, um, that what she agreed to, uh, confess to. And yes. it, it was, it was, it just made me sick. It yeah. just was a, yeah. it's just a, a horrible case of child abuse, yeah. um, for a mother to yeah. do. It's just awful. So exactly. All right. One last one. I'm going to do a quick Ammon Bundy update because he released a new video this week. Uh, this week, he was bemoaning the fact that St. Luke's came in and cleaned out his wife's bank account and cleaned out his son's bank account. And Tell me, what is what is St. Luke's? I don't know what St. Luke's is. St. Luke's is a hospital here in Boise, and St. Luke's sued him for defamation. He chose not to participate in the civil lawsuit. They got okay. a $52 million judgment against him and People's Rights Network and several other entities. And so now they are collecting on their judgment. And so okay. he was bemoaning the fact that these bank accounts were cleaned out just before Christmas, and this was his son's bank account. And... I will tell you what I know about this, what he's not telling you, is that his name would have had to have been on his wife's bank account. If his, it, it may be her account, but if his name's on it, the money is gone. The same thing with his son's bank account. They would not have been able to come in and take the money out of his son's bank account if Ammon's name wasn't on the account. And that's what okay. he's not telling you all. So anyway, okay. that was right. that's that's my Ammon Bundy update for the week. So Okay. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a day without an Ammon Bundy update. Oh, it's not an episode with Tiffany without an Ammon Bundy update. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. Let's move on to favorite things. John, did you bring a favorite thing to share I, with our I listeners? did. I, I really struggled with this because I, I don't know how to make tomato soup uh, cupcakes, and I really don't like tomato soup. So today I have brought the Snickers trees. Oh. Now, I have, am a huge fan of Snicker bars, and my whole life I have eaten Snicker bars. But once you taste their Christmas um, little trees, and, and I don't even want to know how much how expensive they are, they, they, have, they have the softest, best caramel inside. Oh. And it, it's so much better than a regular Snicker bar. I, I don't know how to describe it. And I don't know why they don't come out the rest of the year. But you can buy the Snickers trees, and you can also buy um, – oh, they have a snowman or some other characters. Yeah. But excellent. Great taste. But always fresh. That's yeah. that's the key. So you know, that's – I'm going to have that's to go mine. find those because that's like, that's the same thing with the Reese's trees that come out at Christmas time. I think the Reese's trees are far superior to a regular Reese's because oh, definitely. the layer of chocolate is much thinner than what you find in a regular Reese's and there's a higher peanut butter content. And so that's why yes. I like the Reese's trees so much better than regular Reese's. So now I think I'm going to have to go find those Snickers trees and try them. Oh, you, you definitely are. I, um, 
I I panicked because um, I couldn't find him. We went to our local Walmart and Cody couldn't find him. So I had to call my daughter yesterday. She found him in Logan and drove him up and, you know, just made it here just in time for press time. And um, but so, yeah, get yourself some of the Snickers six pack trees. OK. All right. Well, my favorite thing tonight is going to be a craft store and it's going to be Hobby Lobby. And I'm going to explain why Hobby Lobby is one of my favorites because uh, I had a really cool experience there this week. So I, I had a little time to kill yesterday and I was just wanting to kind of just decompress from a super busy week. And I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to go see what's going on at the Hobby Lobby. I want to see what they had left of their Christmas stuff, if they were discounting it yet. Um, you know what I could look forward to in terms of after Christmas discounts. And so I'm just kind of wandering up and down the aisles and I'm in one aisle and there's a lady in this aisle and she's intently looking at merchandise. And I said, she accidentally backs into me. I can, I, I stop because I can see that she's not aware that I'm there. And we chuckle about that for a minute. And I go on and go to some other aisles. And then I end up in another aisle. And again, she's in that aisle. She's focused on the merchandise and she accidentally backs up into me again. <laughs> and she was just so sweet and so apologetic. And we just started talking about Christmas and Christmas decor. And she started telling me, um, that she had taken these clear ornaments this year and put paint in them and swirled them around and made these really cute ornaments. And I said, oh, that sounds like a fantastic idea. I'm, I'm looking for ideas right now. I'm wanting to redo my tree next year. And she said, well, if you'll give me my, your address, I will have my grandson drive one of these ornaments to your house tomorrow. And oh, I wow. came home this afternoon and sure enough, waiting on my doorstep was this absolutely beautiful, gorgeous ornament that she had made. So I promptly sent her a text and just said, this is beautiful. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. And she said, you know, after the first of the year, if you'd like to come to my house, I'll show you how I do these and you can make some for your tree. And I said, I'll take you up on that offer. So wow, I am really looking forward to that in January and just, you know, just kind of the, you know, it pays to be nice and pays to be kind. And now I'm going to have a new friend and I will put up on the Twim Sisters Instagram a picture of this ornament so everybody can see just this gorgeous ornament that she gifted me with. And so that is why Hobby Lobby tonight is one of my favorites. Oh, I'm excited. That's a that's a great story. Your new Hobby Lobby friend. My Go new to Hobby Lobby and make a new craft friend. <laughs> exactly. All Perfect. right. Well, John, thank you very much for joining me tonight. I have loved this. This hour has flown by. Yes, it's been so fun. We have just had a great time. So I hope that you will come back on another episode of Taffy. Be happy to. Uh, that's awesome. So TWIM listeners, thank you for joining us this evening. And if you have any comments, you can reach out at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. You can obviously find us on all the social media platforms on the Twitter, which is now X on Facebook, uh, the TWIM sisters, Instagram. <clears throat> and so feel, feel free to reach out and join us on those social media platforms. Also, for Patreon subscribers, if you want to be a Patreon subscriber, three bucks a month, and you can help us keep the lights on. John's going to stay on the line with me tonight because we're going to do a Patreon segment when we're done here. So I'm kind of excited about that. So again, thank you very much, and we wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you.